Cutaway Man of Kutu. Princess Leia was a Wapa Atu. Us, Batarundi, Darth Vader. And Chenko Vaskimo Kier Tundi Death Star. Us, Michi and Jedi, Obi Wan Kenobi. Imanamachu Vader Con Yumno. Utapi. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Leclerc and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode 267, That Star Wars Feeling. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire. And as I said before, Jason's not able to be with us this week for the episode, but do not fret. No, sir, do not fret. I am joined by the Jedi Grand Master of Star Wars Podcasting. It's the one and only Matt Rushing. You know, Carl, just because aggressive negotiations want a parsec doesn't mean I'm the grandmaster of anything. I'm barely a Jedi master, so but I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, it's great to be back, man. It's been a while. It, it has. It has. But um, when you called, you put out the Jedi clarion call. I heard it, and I answered it in the Force, and now I am here. Uh, well, I, it almost feels like Force spirit-like. It is. I mean, it's a Skype call, which is essentially the same thing. Pretty much. Skype. Pretty much. I'm not as glowy and blue. No, though, that's true. We get, we'll have to get a filter for that. That would be... Skype, oh, Skype, Skype should, make should that totally filter. do that. I I'd pay for yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you get all those filters on, like, uh, Instagram and, like, you know, Facebook does it now and I think Snapchat. So why can't Skype give us, you know, oh, Force know. Glow? Force Glow. Oh, man, oh, I wish other awesome. things would give us. I, I'd love Instagram with Force Glow. That'd, that'd be, be super great. sweet. That'd be so fun. All right, I mean, per- we need to sell this idea to them. Yeah, we do. And then they can sponsor both of our shows, <laughs> and we'll be set for there life. There you go. There you go. Um, if only it was a computer whiz and could create that program for you know. Oh mm. my goodness! So, um, before we hop into our episode, uh, and before we get into anything else, um, Matt, I want to just give a quick shout out to your i mean you do so much in the podcasting world i mean and specifically your star wars show aggressive negotiations which you do with your friend john john mills is like it has jumped right to the top of like my most enjoyable star wars podcast i love listening to this every week you guys the topics you do the depth you bring to them um like your like just your sense of star wars is so profound and and i absolutely love it and if you are listening to the show right now by the end of the episode you will know what i'm talking about as matt just breaks open star wars because you do it in such a profound way but if you do not listen to aggressive negotiations you're doing yourself a disservice i'm telling you right now wow um well i don't know what to say other than you know the the coolest thing about this is that you know john and i met years ago now because of podcasting um we ended up on an episode he did an episode of the 602 club me with me when i first started that show and we found out that 
you know, we really like Star Wars. So we ended up doing a Star Wars episode of that show together. And really, it kind of grandfather, like it's the grandfather of uh, aggressive negotiations because we found that we just love talking Star Wars together so much. And uh, John's really a, a kindred spirit for me. We're, we've become like best friends, really legitimately best friends, even though we live across the country and, um, you know, last year we actually got to meet each other for the first time. Um, we got to go to Lucasfilm and the ranch together, which it was kind of like a Mecca trip uh, for us. Yeah, I saw your But pictures. doing it, yeah, doing it together. I mean, so, I mean, we're just two dudes who just absolutely love geeking out about Star Wars and, and just talking about it silly sometimes. We get really silly sometimes on the show or we can be really serious or somewhere in the middle, but... I mean, um, this is a, a series uh, of, of, you know, shows and, and movies, uh, books that have had a profound impact on our lives for the better. And, uh, you know, you, you don't get to say that about many, I think, media things. Um, so having a franchise like this, you know, it's just meant something to us. And then we just have an enjoyable time, you know, breaking it down or talking about it just like normal people. So. Yeah, well, I love it. I I love the show. And when I knew Jason wasn't going to be able to record this week, I, was, I, I immediately knew who I had to ask. <laughs> it's like I got to get Matt on. Thanks, man. Um, so, and you were on because you and I had the you know it was I it was really awesome getting to meet you at Celebration this past yes. April. Um, and I, we knew right then and there. I was like, we've got to do something together at some point because we just had such great conversations at Celebration, sitting on the floor in the media room. Um, oh man, so much fun! Good times. Um, so yeah, so what we are going to be talking about in this episode is um, what does it mean to say the, the 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 term Star Wars feeling? Right, with these new Star Wars movies that are coming out, all this new Star Wars product, a lot of folks are talking about. You know, well, this doesn't feel like Star Wars, or this feels like Star Wars. Um, I mean, that line in and of itself is purely subjective. That's what Star Wars feels. What, it, what does it feel like to be Star Wars is going to be unique to every individual. Um, but that's what we're going to talk a little bit about uh, on this this episode is just what does that feel like for each of us and what might it feel like for you? Yeah. Can we uh, – we should, we should create a parody song, Lost That Star Wars Feeling. Oh, yeah. Or hooked, <laughs> hooked on That Star Wars Feeling. <laughs> Yeah, nah, hooked on that Star Wars feeling. I mean, yeah, but yeah, yeah, either one. Let's do it. That's funny. <laughs> um, but um, real quick before we hop into that meat meat of the topic, there. Um, just for fun, normally we don't. When Jason and I aren't together, we don't typically do polls or matchups. We do have a matchup from last episode, but we're gonna pause that until Jason's back next week. But I just I was sitting at work today, and I was like, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about these three Disney Star Wars movies. I'm just going to throw it out there quick, see what kind of responses we get in the next few hours. Um, and I and I asked you on the poll, what is your favorite Star Wars Disney movie? So between Force Awakens, Rogue One, and Last Jedi, what did people have to say? We got quite a, I, there was quite a few people that wrote in um, in the last few hours. So, um, but uh, the one that won, take a guess, Matt. What, what do you think? I mean, again, this is a small pool, but which which one uh. do you think came out on top? I think the last Jedi probably won. Okay, and what do you think came in last? The Force Awakens. Okay. Well, here's the numbers that the Larians voted in the last four hours. Coming in at number one with twenty votes was Rogue One. Coming yes. in Yeah, that's where both of our votes went. Yes. 
Um, coming in second with 15 was Force Awakens, and coming in last with 14 was Last Jedi. So it was very close. Wow, um, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, I, it, you and I both agree Rogue One is I, it's, it's the best of these new films. I mean, Last Jedi could age on me and climb up a little, but it won't. I just don't see it overtaking Rogue One for me. It's just and, – and this is to me why I wanted to talk about what we're going to be talking about on this episode is the Star Wars feeling. Um, these, to me, would be ranked based on which one felt like Star Wars the most to me. And uh, Of the new ones, I would say Rogue One felt the most like Star Wars to me. Um, why do you think that is? Like what it, can you pinpoint what it is that you know just grabbed you from the – from row one and, and kept you the whole way through. It's uh, such a good, that's a great question. I, uh, I don't know. How, and that's, I knew it'd be tough. This is going to be so hard to answer. Um, I think it's, it just has all the elements that I love about star Wars. So beautifully played off. And what I mean by that is, so it has one of the most intricate, beautifully showcased spiritualities in any star Wars film. And, which is profound because it's the only one without a blatant Jedi presence. Um, so I love that. It has just such a rich spirituality to it. Also, though, the action. The action scenes are so fun in this movie. Um, and this is something I'll probably get into a little bit later in the episode, but when I watch Rogue One, it makes me want to like grab my Nerf Cassian blaster and run around my apartment at 32. I don't <laughs> <Yes>. care. <laughs> There's something so fun about the action scenes. And then all the spirituality is also super in-depth. We get a, a deeper sense of the Star Wars Force mythology with the idea of the Guardians of the Wills and the, Ty- the Kyber Temple. I mean, obviously, yes, not everything's explained, but all these wonderful things are brought up and in some ways fleshed out. Um, and, and I'm not, this is not to say to, to hate on last Jedi, but my biggest excitement about last Jedi before the film came out was, Oh, I can't wait to see the, the rich force spirituality because that's right. Raise on Octu, which is a first Jedi temple with Luke. And I was really, maybe underwhelmed is too strong of a word, but I, it just, it, it didn't live up to my expectations, which I know expectations are, you know, sometimes unfair, but um, yeah, that force mythology part of Last Jedi, while it, there's some really good stuff, I also found it a bit lacking. Um, and there's something very, I don't know, something very captivating about Rogue One, um, personified in Chirrut. Um, and obviously Luke has lost his way in Last Jedi, which is just sad to a lot of fans. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what really captured me with Rogue One. What about you, though? Why, why is this the one that, that stands out to you? So the, the thing that um, really stuck out to me with Rogue One is that it used all the different pieces of the mythology that we already had to weave together a new tale that we didn't know um, and to fit it kind of right in with, uh, you know, so you watch this and you can immediately run right into uh, A New Hope. And and what, it, what I felt like it did is it... Uh, it did the same thing that the Clone Wars was able to do, the TV show. Mm. And it was it was very similar in that sense where it was taking parts of the mythology that you kind of knew or understand and expanded on and expounding and bringing to light new things. Um, I feel like the, the movie itself feels like a Clone Wars episode in the sense that, you know, at the beginning we're kind of hopping around to different places a lot like they would do in that show. Uh, 
I felt like the design work extrapolated things very well, so it fit right in line, but still gave us some neat new things. Mm. Um, and then the other thing about it is that, like you said, it found a way to keep the mythic spirituality of Star Wars in a movie with no Jedi. And I felt like that was really outstanding to me. Um, And then I feel like lastly, what it did is it created very captivating characters that... And this is something I've been thinking a lot about. I think we forget how difficult it is to make a one-and-done film. Mm Mm-hmm. And to create those characters uh, in a one-and-done story where they're not going to go on. And so they have a very tall order, but I find myself caring about a lot of these characters in the storyline, even though I just met them. And so, you know, watching Jin's story progress till the end, watching Cassian's story progress to the end, you know, and they're on the beach together, they've, they've completed their mission uh, and then they die together, and and at least they have each other at the end. You know, like there's this, there's so much happening um, in the film, and I think what it does is it captures the Star Wars spirit because it adds something new to the mythos while making it feel familiar. And that is the hardest line to walk. And Gareth Edwards himself even said that, you know, um, if you go to the right, it's not Star Wars. If you go to the left, you're just copying what George did. You've got to walk that really thin line. And that's the hardest thing. And I think that they did it perfectly in the same way you see the Clone Wars do that, where they add, they're adding what it means to be Star Wars, but at the same time, it feels familiar. Um, and, and to do that for the most part, seems to be like take different genres and find the way to twist, give them that Star Wars twist. So we did that with Rogue One. We took the war movie, the straight on, straight up heist war movie, um, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine like the Dirty Dozen basically, and we turn that into a, a, a Star Wars movie, but we give it the Star Wars twist, and I feel like they just pull it off perfectly, and that's to me, what captured me about that, because, you know, um, I think that's kind of what Lucas did in his Star Wars, and specifically, I think he really ramped that up as he and Dave did the Clone Wars together, um, and uh, they just, I don't know, it, it, it gets hard, because you, know, you start talking about the magic, and it gets hard to explain in words. Yeah. Yeah, well, right, even to use that phrase, feel like Star Wars, the idea of feeling, feelings are so subjective, right? And and also feelings can sometimes be beyond words. Um, the thing I love most about Star Wars is like when something feels like Star Wars, it just feels like Star Wars. It just feels right. And when something doesn't feel like Star Wars, like that's also very – I mean, so to me the biggest thing when they – pop that champagne bottle on Canto Bite, it takes me right out of that film. When they say the cops are after us, takes me right out of the Star Wars feeling. Um, and, and I don't mean this to just like like crap on Last Jedi. It's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great things in there, right? Um, Luke at the end walking out with this epic skyline of, you know, these massive walkers. Like, that feels like Star Wars for sure. 
um, Han Solo walking out onto a, cat, a catwalk with an endless pit beneath him to face off against his son. That feels like Star Wars, um, right? It, it, so, like, at the end of the day, what that, that feeling is is going to be so personal to you. Um, and I think there's no arguing with somebody if, if that doesn't. You know, somebody could say, oh, I loved Canto Bite when they popped that champagne bottle. That felt like Star Wars. Okay, didn't to me, but right, you know, you can't sometimes argue those things. Um, I think there's some subtle things you could you could argue. Um, I mean, one thing that I still get into some trouble with with some friends is I still say that the closing shot of Last Jedi in, in no way feels like Star Wars. Um, I don't necessarily hate the shot. It just certainly does not feel like the closing shot of a Star Wars film. You know, Broom Boy does not fit as a closing shot of Star Wars. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, the helicopter shot on the, the Force Awakens doesn't really either to me. Yeah, people have said the that the type too. of shot that it is. Right, yeah. At least it centers on our heroes. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is what every Star Wars film has done. But um, now, every time you watch it, you're just going to be like, he's going to toss that lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this, Matt. Um, just to have a little bit more fun and play this out a bit. Let's take Rogue One, since we've just been talking about it. Can you say a moment, a scene, or something specific in that film that really felt like Star Wars to you? Ooh. Um, I really like... I mean, I, I think that the opening shot of Krennic's ship mm. flying to the planet and the, the, the way that Edwards uses establishing shots is just like George did. Um, and you, you, you're following the ship, you're progressing with the ship, um, the same way he would follow the Millennium Falcon in, in A New Hope, uh, and those type of scenes. So, I mean, right from the beginning, I, I felt like it was capturing the spirit of Star Wars by using the same shooting techniques that you would get that George would, would use, um, but also giving you something new, like the way they come in with that ringed planet and it gives you that that triangular look on the rings. So it's like referencing the Star Destroyers, but there's no Star Destroyer there, you know? So just things like that, that they're paying very close attention to the details, but it's the shot composition that, and, and I feel like so many shots in that movie feel like the way that George made Star Wars movies, where if I turned off the sound, I would still know what was going on just by the composition of what's happening. Uh, and and that's a really I think that's one of the keys to being a uh, what with the feeling of Star Wars. Can I turn the sound off and still get that feeling? Mm. And I think Rogue One passes that test with flying colors. Nice, I like it. Um, well, just to piggyback off my own question, <laughs> um, I want to answer it if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> answer you should piggyback. Yes. Mm. <laughs> um. I I love the moment when Chirrut is saying, let them pass in peace. And then mm. you get the swell of his theme, which to me still just rem- I, I know it. I don't know enough about musical time signatures and, and, and uh, music theory to say if it whether or not Chirrut's theme and Yoda's theme actually do match up. But there's something about the feel of the, the Guardian of the Wills theme that makes me think of Yoda's theme. So when he says, let them pass in peace and we get that moment and he just. Uh, when it just zooms in on him like that and in and, and this old Star Wars type city, like it's like, yes, like this just it just really feels it just screams Star Wars to me that something really cool is about to happen. Some sort of action scenes about to happen. But 
it's personified in this very spiritual character. Um, so yeah, I think I think you called out something that I want to mention. You know, um, I know some people don't like, but I know other people lo- love it. But I think uh, Chikino's work mm. uh, was perfect. Yes, it's one of my favorite Star Wars soundtracks now. And part of it was because it's the way that he does use music to um, – he'll even uh, – I heard David Collins talk about this at Celebration. But he'll use um, the same the same keys. He'll use the same notes. He'll, he'll do them in different order though so that it feels like the theme that you're used to. But it's played in a different manner and so you get that feeling. Um, but I also think that uh, that's what Kiner – does really well um, when they really let him play with the themes like in season two, three, and, and, and now four of Rebels where they've allowed him to create his own themes. Mm-hmm. He does a great job of mimicking the Star Wars, the Williams-type feel, but without just aping Williams. So you still feel like you're in that same musical milieu, but it, it's, it's something new. To enjoy, and I think that's that's one of the things that um, really helped Rogue One is that the music felt familiar, but it was also different, and it also referenced the type of movie that we were in, which is quite a bit darker, you know, but still with a twinge of hope in some of those themes. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, uh, so just uh, before we even continue more into the topic, but it's, I, sometimes I like drawing out really specific examples, which is why Jason and I love doing top five moments. Um, but uh, let's, well, let's look at Last Jedi. Can you think of a moment in Last Jedi that really felt like Star Wars to you? Um, I would say that the, the biggest moment that felt Star Wars-y to me was the Praetorian battle mm. um, with uh, Kylo and Rey. That felt like a very Star Wars-y moment. It felt like a prequel-type moment almost, you know, like mm. that it, you could put Anakin and Obi-Wan in that scene, you know, and, and you could totally see that being in the Clone War series. Um, so, and I, I, I like that. I loved, um, Ray even using the backhanded grip referencing yeah. like the Ahsoka style, yep. you know, um, it was visceral too. So, I mean, it, it, it had, um, a, a grittier feel to it because of the type of fight that it was, but I felt like it was, it was shot really well and it really felt like a Star Wars moment, the kind of moment that when you go to the big screen of Star Wars, you're just like, oh, my God, that was awesome. Yeah. Because that was the best part of the movie for me. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. What about you, though? Was there anything that, yeah. like, y- you're watching that and you're like, okay, this is the moment that, like, I love about this film? Um, well, I mean, if, if, if it's going to be as specific as the moment I love, it'd be the, it would, I'd have to ape what you just said. Cause it's definitely the Praetorian fight. Um, but as, as I, I knew I was going to ask you and I knew while you were answering, I could come up with something a little different. I wanted to think of something where, cause like a lot of the things I'm thinking of have to do with like Luke or like Luke with Leia, like that's a great moment. But I was like, okay, I want to think of something though. That's just our new characters. And it's actually, I do love when, um, Finn DJ and, um, uh, Rose are walking like and BB-8 has the uh, trash can on him and he's mimicking the oh. mouse droid <laughs> and they're just like walking by and they you know he bumps into the stormtroopers they're, they're essentially just walking through you know the star destroyer and then you also then get the shot of the uh the 
the um, turbo lift going up, which we obviously know is going to have Ray and Kylo in it. There's just something about that. Like here, you've got these rebels on a mission that just felt like star Wars. Right. Um, and then their, their mission in a way is, and again, to me, this is like great star Wars composition of the sense of like, you've got like the, the secular mission, and then you've got the deeper core of, what animates the bigger picture, which is this ba- this this struggle between Ray and Kylo, right? They're the they're the their personal struggle is going to have ramifications much bigger than themselves, just like Luke and Vader said. Even though these are they're very personal, intimate moments, um, they're so much bigger. Same with Anakin and Palpatine's interactions in the prequels. While they're very intimate moments, they have such wide implications for the galaxy at large. And you know, just in so as you see, like the resistance trying to infiltrate and do something bigger, you also realize that there's something much deeper at play. Um, and yeah. that's not to diminish the importance of our resistance heroes, but there's always something, right? Like the heart of Star Wars is always like this personal struggle, these deep, intimate moments. Um, and I love those that moment of Kylo and Rey on the, um, on the turbo lift. I was thinking about that scene a lot today, actually, how much I love it, how Rey's the one shackled, right? She's the prisoner, but yet she mm-hmm. says to Kylo, like, I can feel the conflict tearing you apart. I can help you. Here she is, the prisoner, offering someone who's imprisoned internally freedom. Like I just, I love it. Like that, just like that. The irony of that moment, how beautiful that is, um, is is just it's perfect Star Wars to me. So. I, I like um, just specifically smaller moments in the films that I, I felt like felt Star Wars, where some of the moments where Ray is by herself on Octu. Um, I'm specifically thinking of of um, when she's under the Falcon and it's raining before she yeah. starts talking to Kylo. And it's just such a, I mean, the character, you know what's got to be going through her head. She's never seen this much water in her life, yeah. you know. Like, um, she didn't know there was this much water in the whole galaxy, you know. <laughs> um, and just enjoying the rain. And there's that moment of, like, there's a split moment before kylo shows up in their you know force facetime um to ruin it (laughs) where she's just at peace like i feel like she's just enjoying the moment of being alive on this planet you know and that doesn't happen very often for the character of ray so that was a moment that i felt like felt star wars where you're just appreciating the place that you're in you know, um, so I really I th- I liked that moment a lot, and it felt very much like a Star Wars thing of a character just getting that moment to kind of breathe in where they are. Yeah, yeah, and I love that moment too because with the little smile that she gives too as she reaches mm-hmm. out and touches yeah. the rain, right? It's that little smile says so much, so much. Um, well, just for the sake of uh, we talked last Jedi Rogue One, we should give the same. The same credit to Force Awakens. Can you think of a moment in Force Awakens that really felt like Star Wars to you? This one is ah, there. There's there's quite a few moments that I like that feel Star Wars, uh, and I think my f- maybe my favorite moment of the film is just watching Rey eat mm. uh, in front of her, you know, ATAT house, you know, her at at house. Mm. Um, I just love that moment. Again, it's it's a moment of just being with the character. Um, and there is a sense of it 
feeling like obviously uh, a new hope where there's a part of the movie where it's just kind of like a silent film you know there's not a lot of sound going on um it's just existing with that character so i really enjoy that moment um so i also enjoy the i also enjoy the moment um and i i feel like uh the banter was nice where she's trying to get finn to get her the right tape so that she can fix the falcon and she's like no no (laughs) not that one no no like uh because it was a it was a moment that we've all had in our lives but at the same time it was also um it was it was it was good banter like it was just good banter yeah um and it, it 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 had that kind of star wars feel to it um those two so i i liked the finn and ray interactions yeah yeah there's so much of that film that felt like star wars to me um and uh yeah i mean honestly one of the things that felt the most to me i love the entrance of kylo on jakku when they you know raid the village right at the top of the movie and he comes you know thunking down his you know landing pad there and confronts lor santeca um it's just like yes this is our new villain he's (laughs) you know he's intimidating and he's powerful and you just don't mess with him like i liked that our you know i I know in a way it it does a little bit mimic an ape you know the entrance of vader in a new hope in the sense of he comes in and physically imposing and scary and the very next thing we see him doing is choking a dude out with one hand um you know so it kind of mimics that but that's okay like i like that because um the prequels never gave us a villain in the films to really like be intimidated by like maul looks great but he doesn't do much count dooku is an interesting character but he doesn't do much beyond i mean clone wars he's great but the movies, he doesn't get much. I mean, Palpatine's kind of the underlying villain of the prequels, but, you know, he's not that scary in a way. Um, so I, I appreciate the way they really set Kylo up as the as the new threat right at the top of the film. Um, yeah. So, um, and real quick, in case you're wondering, like, oh, well, why aren't you talking about the other six films and what felt like Star Wars? Well, the end of the day, you, you mean this is the this is the big question that has arisen since Disney has started making Star Wars films. Is you know, yeah, there were right back in '99, people said that Jar Jar that didn't feel like Star Wars, right? But we've had those arguments, um, and at the end of the day, like Star Wars post George, at least for the immediate future, I think, um, and maybe in some ways unfairly so, but. People are hardcore fans are going to ask that question of did that feel like Star Wars? That's going to be a question people are going to ask in May when Solo comes out. People are going to ask that again in 2019 when Episode Nine comes out. Um, you know, and I think Disney is in the process of developing what Star Wars looks like now, today, for them. Um, and there are going to be some things that don't quite gel with the star wars that came before and some people are going to you know fight that tooth and nail till their dying day and some people will love it wholeheartedly and say i don't care it's star wars and and i love what they're doing with it you know i mean at the end of the day it doesn't matter it's subjective um but i just want to give the premises why we were looking directly at those three films because those are the ones we've all been asking and with those are the that these are the statements that have been coming up in the last you know couple of years is did that feel like star wars what has uh, felt most like Star Wars for you in 
Rebels since that's oh, Disney's that's yeah. animated show. The music. Um, surprisingly enough, I love the music. Um, like you said, Kiner has really done a great job of bringing in both eras of Star Wars, both the prequels and the originals, as well as adding his own spin. Um, but I would say right up under that, though, is up until most recently, I, ha- I was not very impressed with the first half of season four. Um, and the main reason I wasn't is because they I really feel like they've diverted away from what Rebels was in the first three seasons, which was the story of a family. Right. The ghost crew that felt so Star Wars to me, like this is just like a ragtag group who's become this family and they're fighting for something bigger and they struggle together both personally and as a group. Um, I love that. I thought that was so perfectly Star Wars because that's a new hope, right? A new hope is a ragtag group of, um, you know, archetype characters coming together in an unlikely way to become heroes. And I felt like Rebels mimics is not a fair word, but it it mirrors that, you know, in the sense of this is a a ragtag group of, of rebels who come together for something bigger. And I think that felt so like star Wars to me. Um, I think season four is one of those things where they're doing something to which that's going to be a a season that's going to feel much more complete when you get to watch the whole thing kind of together, maybe almost like binge it because it is one long story almost like right. this is so i i get what you're saying because when you watch it i, I think also that's why they've been doing it in the two episode per night you yeah. know because it is something that feels much more connected um than we've had before and yeah um i think the thing for, for me that feels super star wars is the mythology of rebels rebels really diving into the mythology of the force and i think this is one of the things that when i think about star wars star wars first and foremost is george's modern mythology to teach kids lessons and um the very you know some of his very first interviews about star wars this was his goal is to be able to pass on lessons that he didn't feel like kids were learning in other places and to give them that. And so I think, you know, uh, to do that, you dive deep into mythology and spirituality, those kind of things. And Rebels has not shied away from that. And I think specifically, um, to me, that's been the thing that I've loved since like season two onwards, is we've slowly been deeper and deeper into these force mysteries, which is really cool, which is what has me so excited about, you know, season four is that, we're getting these really crazy, awesome force things like both wolves. And apparently we're going to, you know, if you've seen the trailer for yeah. the the season trailer, Mortis is going to come back somehow, uh, or at least the reference to it. So like all of these things um, that he's been doing, uh, even trying the, the interesting thing about a, a, another type of force being like the Bendu, or we saw the Lasats and their version of the Force, which really connected well with what we saw in Rogue One, where you have these different views of the Force. So I think all of that, again, just it, it's it, mythology. I, I like to call Rebels' best episodes the mythology episodes because they're ones that add to the mythology of the canon of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So they're they're important aspects that they're building into the 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 rest of the franchise. It'll be hallmarks that people would want to use later on. 
Um, you know, you're not going to use a chopper episode. You're not going to care about that probably in the sense of like, you're going to look back on that and be like, oh, we really want to reference that. But an episode where Vader and Ahsoka show down at a force temple or, you know, a Sith temple and have a massive epic battle. And does she die? Does she not die? You know, like those are things you want to follow up on or maybe use ideas in further Star Wars. So mm-hmm. um, I think to me, just embracing the mythology of Star Wars is the thing that has made Rebels to me feel like Star Wars. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. So, well, let's let's break down this this language a little bit more then. Um, the idea of the feeling of Star Wars. What what is something you feel when you feel Star Wars? Ooh. Um I think one of the things that I feel when I feel Star Wars is I feel kind of this awe and wonder. Oh my God, that's literally the first note I wrote. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, um, and I think that's the thing, you know, uh, when, when we look back at how George created the original trilogy and then when he moved to the prequel trilogy and then into the Clone Wars, like everything was based off of these, these archetypes uh, and these classic myths that we've all seen or heard, we kind of have some recollection. It's it's, it's so ingrained to who we are that it's it, it doesn't need explanation, right? And so there's this sense of kind of being drawn into a new world, but that somehow feels familiar, even though you've never been there before. And you're just kind of awed by everything you're seeing because it looks used, the used universe, but at the same time, it just brings wonder. And, you know, I mean, who doesn't see a lightsaber ignite and just want to, like, I want one. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the same way. I, I That was literally the first thing I put. I just put wonder and awe. I just changed the, the, the order of where you put them. But, yeah, I mean, it's this. Um, and I, I've talked about this before on the show. Um, and, 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 and I, I talked about it in the context of why I sometimes get so defensive or so, you know, up in arms about certain things about Star Wars is because of the sense of wonder and awe, Star Wars is more than just a form of entertainment for me. It is, it is entertainment. Don't get me wrong. I know that, you know, I'm not some, some nut who thinks that Star Wars is real. Um, I don't think anybody does, but, um, I, I it, to me, it's more than just like a great film series. Um, you know, I mean, I I enjoy the Jurassic Park films a lot. They're a lot of fun, but they don't really speak to my life. They don't change me as a person. Um, so for me, Star Wars is, and you and I both would agree on the fact that we're you and I are both religiously minded people. Star Wars has a religious feel to me. Um, one of the most profound aspects of a religious experience, um, and this was something quoted by uh, a man named um, Rudolf Otto, a German theologian um, in like the 19th century, but he talked about how religious experience was always one of wonder and awe, about something beyond yourself. And I think, in a way, we can have religious experiences in very secular things. Um, and I think for me, that's what Star Wars is. And, you know, it's this this sense of wonder and awe that just like elevates me, transcends me out of myself into something so much bigger than I am, um, which is the importance of these big mythological tales um, because they are, while they certainly provide a commentary for our real world, they're not rooted 
in our real world in that sense. Um, and when I say rooted, I, in a sense, yeah, I mean they are rooted here because they, they come out of the imagination of someone rooted in our world. But they're not bound, I guess is a better way to put it. They're not bound by the confines of our real world. So I think when I feel Star Wars, it is this experience of wonder and awe, of just something magical happening before me. Um, so that is the biggest thing when I think of the feeling of Star Wars. It's funny, um, you know, I was just I just finished this year uh, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, and he talks about the idea of how uh, we are drawn to fairy stories because they actually seem to fit reality better than reality because we all have this intrinsic nature of knowing that there has to be something bigger or more, you know, in the the beauty of of you know for you and I both being of the, the Christian faith, um, the beauty of the magic of God coming to Earth to save us is magical, mystical, mm-hmm. a, a spiritual. Like in all of those ways, um, it defies every point of logic. You know, and that's what the best fairy stories do too. Um, and, and for the most part, they always tend to as well. And as we saw in the first six Star Wars movies, it becomes about the the beauty of redemption, finding redemption, even after horrible, hideous evil, finding a way to be redeemed, you know, because of the beauty of the self-sacrifice of somebody else. Uh and the example of self-sacrificial love. And like, what could be better message for the entire world that we live in today than those two things, yeah. you know? And so it's like, this is, this is when you talk about wonder and awe, you're like, it is the wonder and awe of the, this kind of um, reinforcement of a message that is paramount to the, and, and critical to the world we live in um, now more than ever, I think. Because uh, it's just something we're losing. And uh, a Star Wars speaks to that, and I think that's what makes it so beautiful. For me, at least those first six films and The Clone Wars, and I think Rebels and Rogue One all fit within that context very well. And so hoping to see that, you know, seven, eight, nine when completed, find a way to fit within that context too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and, and I know that there, like, there are some people who their favorite part of star Wars is like troopers or, you know, um, the, the, uh, the tank battles, the, you know, the more action based side. So I, I understand that that feeling, which is so profoundly star Wars to me, maybe less so for others. I know, for instance, like when I was younger, when I was a kid and I first got into Star Wars, my favorite elements in Star Wars were not necessarily the Force stuff. It was the action scenes. It was, you know, the the raid on the Death Star. It was the, you know, the the blaster campaign on Endor with the fighting alongside the Ewoks. It was that space battle above Endor, right? It was all those blaster-oriented action scenes. That was my favorite part of Star Wars when I was a kid. Um, I often found myself bored on Dagobah when I would watch Empire Strikes Back. 
Yeah, I always knew there was something more to it. Like I and I'm sure I did not consciously think this, let alone say it when I was eight or nine years old. But it was almost like I know I'm going to come back to this later. I'm just not. I don't know what that's going to put a pin in it. Exactly right. Like that's not really for me right now. Um, and again, like I know that was in no way a conscious thing, but I, I mean, since I was a kid, I've always loved Dagobah. It's my favorite planet in Star Wars I, because of its just like the depth of its unknown and its mystery and its beauty, the way it draws me in. I mean, I definitely loved it as a kid, even though I didn't necessarily love all the scenes there. Um, there's something about it that, that just, again, captivated me. Um, and, uh, yeah, and the same is true for Octu and last Jedi. Like there's something really amazing about the fact that this is the site of the first Jedi temple. And this is that what was, was housing the sacred Jedi texts of old, the idea of the caretakers, right? Like this is stuff that got me really excited. Um, cause that's, that's what feels like star Wars. Um, I think um, I think Star Wars, I, and I like what you're saying because you know one of the cool things about the action sequences, if you if you watch them as an adult, you know now you realize that the action is telling a story too. Right. If it's done right, which for the most part in Star Wars it is, it's telling you a story by what's happening on the screen, action wise, and so. Like it, it's not just necessarily to have an action sequence; it's trying to further the story through an action sequence. And I think that was one of the hallmarks of Star Wars. It's like we're not going to stop and have a five minute beat of, you know, people shooting at each other. That that's it's it's woven into the very fabric of of the storytelling to have these kind of moments. And I think that's what makes it kind of special. And if it, that doesn't happen, then you do kind of get drawn out. And you're like, oh, we're just kind of having an action scene right now. Um, and and so finding a way to do that, I think making the action truly part of the storytelling is one of the hallmarks, I think, of what makes it to feel like Star Wars. Um, so, yeah, because, I mean, like I always think of people kind of sometimes ding – Return of the Jedi for that at the very beginning that it's just like a 30 minute action scene you know with all that's happening with Jabba's palace but I feel like it's the whole thing is telling us a story you know about well you're asking the question where is Luke at this point why is he all in black why is he force choking people what is going on (laughs) is Luke a bad guy now you know like it's telling you the story it's kind of slowly getting you into back into the groove after everything that happened in you know empire and so but it's still furthering the story through action sequences yeah yeah um you know i think one thing worth mentioning because i think this is true of any older star wars fan someone who's you know been a fan pretty much their whole lives like both of us and i'm sure several folks listening um is is the reality though of nostalgia Right. Star, the Star Wars feeling does, I think, in a way, um, tap a sense of nostalgia within us. And that's not a bad thing. You know, some people would say like, oh, well, you only like it because of what it makes you think about. Well, is that a, is that a bad thing? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think so. Um, and in the sense of Star Wars with nostalgia, I think, for, again, speaking for myself, what sometimes is nostalgic about Star Wars is when I do have that experience of wonder and awe, it kind of reconnects me with that 
inner child, you know, that, that like youthfulness, that creativity I had as a kid, that's not necessarily gone now, but it challenges it to manifest itself in new ways and adult ways, you know? Um, and that's, that's something that's so beautiful. I think in these star Wars films is that they can still, whether you're seven years old or 37 years old, there's something that captures you in these stories that immediately taps into that you know, that inner child within us. And and George has always been very clear. And I loved how clear he made it at the 40th anniversary panel at Celebration. These films are for children. You know, not in the sense of like only for children. They're like they're little kid stories. But that's, I think, in a way, even for adults, it's for that kid within you. Um, and I think that's an important part of the Star Wars feeling, too, is that it, it maintains that childlikeness to it. Um, and there is, you know, a danger, I would say, in making Star Wars too, taking itself too seriously. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. Um, but, you know, the, the whole idea of is Star Wars going to be dark, right? Because there was all this talk before Last Jedi, you know, episode eight is going to be the darker film because it's the middle chapter and this, that, and the other thing. And it, it is certainly a, a darker film in a sense. Um, you know, they break it up with a lot of humor. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, and a, a series you and I both also love outside of Star Wars is the Dark Knight trilogy by Chris Nolan. Right. And, and Jason right. and I compared, you know, the idea of dark there compared to Star Wars dark. You know, I don't want a Christopher Nolan dark Star Wars film. It just it wouldn't fit this genre. Um, so I think it's important that Star Wars never feels too dark if that makes sense. And I know Revenge yeah, of the Sith yeah. is a dark film. Empire is a dark yeah, film. I mean, you Rogue know, killing younglings. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but there's still something in there that captures that inner child in you. And, and that in Revenge of the Sith kills it. So, um. you know, I, I think that's the thing that I like. So George was able to tap into something where he could tell a story that could capture all audiences, but it could also be deep, right? And, yeah. and and I think it's something that uh, J.K. Rowling was able to tap into with Harry Potter. She was telling a story that kids could read, but that multiple generations of people could also read and get many things out of at different times in their life. So I, I think that's the thing about Star Wars is George was able to do something that's really special um, is that he created a, a a series which was made for kids, but it also could speak to adults because the themes, the character interactions, the story structure, the mythology of it was speaking to something deeper. And I think that's the cool thing about the way that George created the story. It's definitely 100% for kids, but it's not just for kids. Right. I think that's the hallmark of, of good story. Star Wars storytelling, and again, we really even see that in um, the. Uh, I think the Clone Wars is it's a kids show, right? But it it's arguably probably the darkest stuff we see in Star Wars. Um, uh, even even next to Revenge of the Sith, there's some super dark things that happen in the Clone Wars, um, and. The amazing thing is it's all in a kid's TV show, right? <laughs> like that's the, that's the amazing thing about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, one other thing I want to mention for, for star Wars feeling is the fact that it triggers my imagination. It triggers my creativity. 
Um, you know, again, like Ryan Johnson and JJ Abrams both said this in, in, you know, press releases for both of their films about, um, and I'm sure Gareth did. I just don't remember it consciously. Um, but right. Like they wanted to make a film where you wanted to run outside and grab your, you know, action figures and go play star Wars. Um, and, uh, you know, again, the way that is going to manifest itself is going to be dependent upon where you are in your life, where you, what your age is, your maturity level. Um, and I'm not saying you're immature if you play with action figures later in life, but, um, right. Like it's just where you're at. You didn't see me playing with action figures. Come on, Carl. Jeez. Call me out on the show. Jason's always playing with his Kit Fisto and Count Dooku's. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but right, like there's, uh, you know, there's something about, and and I I know force awakens did this so wonderfully. When I left force awakens, I was just like, wow, I want to play star Wars. Um, when I left for Rogue One, I was like, wow, I really want to play Star Wars. And, you know, there were, there were elements in Last Jedi that, that made me say that. It, it wasn't as consistent as the other two films in that feeling. Um, it, again, for me. Um, and, but, the, you know, when I, when I'm feeling Star Wars, it's like, I, I have to do something more with it. Even if, even while I'm watching it, or I can feel Star Wars just sitting down listening to the soundtrack. I can feel Star Wars sitting down reading a Star Wars book. I can feel Star Wars sitting in my Star Wars room just looking at some like great prints by artists that have interpreted Star Wars in their own way. And it's like seeing a great Star Wars film makes you want to do something more with it, um, which I think is an incredible element of Star Wars, right? Which I think is why it has such a huge diehard fan base. Um, I mean, it turns us into evangelists in a way, right? Like it does, it changes us and makes us want to do something more with it. Whether it's something as simple as, you know, if you're a kid and grabbing some action figures or hopping on your PlayStation and playing some Battlefront 2, or whether it's sitting down and like, because you have a talent with art and drawing out like a scene in an, your own vision or, you know, uh, sitting down and like reflecting on something deep and beautiful in Star Wars that, you know, is speaking to you in life. Um, and for just a very quick side example, I remember a scene in um, Force Awakens that always brought tears to my eyes is when um, uh, Maz Kanata is talking to Ray and she says, you know, close your eyes, feel it, the light, it's always been there, it'll guide you. I remember that just speaking to me in life. It's like, yes, like that is like I have this light within me. It's going to guide me. The end of Last Jedi when Luke comes back and says, you know, no one's truly gone and hands her the the dice from the Falcon and the Han and Leia theme plays. Like it just moves me to tears of like this reality of like there's always something more to life than even death. And like it's just this beautiful moment. So Again, Star Wars is just chock full of these these things that make you want to act out, that make you want to do something more with it. Um, it to me, the huge, the the biggest failure a Star Wars movie could ever has is if I if you left that film and just like, yeah, that was fun, like I enjoyed myself, but that was it, right? Like if that, and that's and that's why I'm not like diehard Jurassic Park or like, um, you know, I like the Lost in Space series, but it's. It doesn't change me in that way, and that's not. It's not to to, to bemean those things and um, demean those things in any way, but you know that's what's just so unique to me about Star Wars is the way it, it has that impact to make you want to do something more with it. That's a Star Wars feeling. Um, so again, like it, as long as you leave a Star Wars movie with that sense, I think it's it's a successful film. 
no matter it's how one it fed those, it to you. Yeah, it's one of those things, I, I think. And I really like the way that you said that because it makes me think of all the people who went on to do other things, like especially in the film industry because of Star Wars. You know, They were inspired by Lucas and they went on to do incredible things because of him. You know, um, we mentioned uh, Nolan. He's a Star Wars fan. He's a, he's a Bond fan. You know, like, so th- th- these franchises that are able to tap into something that keep you going and, and, and encourage you to, to express yourself some way because of what you've seen, you know, or encourage you to do something more because of what you've seen um, or to try something you've never tried before because of what you saw. I think that's... Uh, really, the, the hallmark I think of Star Wars is it's it, it's created a lot of creatives because of, <laughs> of 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 what they have seen, and they're like, oh, I just have to be a part of something like that. Um, and I I think you know the other side of it is is that there is this innate spirituality inside of Star Wars that leaves us wondering, guessing, and thinking, and. I think longing for and looking for, okay, where's the truth in this? Like, you know, um, and, and, and does that exist in our world? Okay. And, and how do I find that? You know, so I, I think that's one of the things in, in obviously one of the hallmarks of the, of the series, because that's what George wanted as well, um, is for, for people to, uh, be encouraged spiritually um, to be encouraged towards spirituality um, through Star Wars. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that gives it a deeper feeling, um, especially maybe as you get older. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that keeps me talking about it is is that it is fun. That's what's great about it. It is fun, but it's deep too. Yeah. It does both. And, and the best Star Wars does both perfectly. Yeah. 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 You know, um, just thinking about this, uh, yeah, one other, yeah. Thinking about this, this, this level of, of the depth of the spirituality of the star Wars films, George was very clear and specifically the original trilogy that, like you said, you know, he wanted to move culture towards some sense of spirituality. Um, cause he did believe that there was something bigger. There was something more, um, he never, he himself never became any specific religion. I mean, he grew up in some traditions, but they never worked for him. Um, but he it, it still, you know, maintained a sense of a pure spirituality. And looking now at like the Disney era, when I think of some, like, I, I don't really know much about J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson as, as, as people. But just thinking about like the way they present the spirituality in each of their films is just curious in the sense of like, JJ's is all very kind of just, it's like a very secular spirituality in the sense of like the, the most in-depth spiritual person in Force Awakens is Maz Kanata, but she's not a Jedi, right? Um, you know, so it's just interesting. Like, so she's just saying that it's something there. It's something you can access. Um, so it, to me, it's like JJ's understanding of spirituality is that it's like kind of just something open and it's something that some people can just tap into. Um, again, this is me totally just reading this my own way, but, and I'm wondering. And I, I didn't realize Ryan said he's a spiritual person. That that's great. Um, but I'm I'm wondering if if Ryan is you know he grew up in a tradition that in a way failed him, you know, and that's then indicative of the Luke Skywalker character, right? 
Um, he had this legendary view of something wonderful about whether it's a specific religion or an idea of spirituality and it, and it failed him. It, it fell short. And that's kind of expressed in the way he, he explains the Luke Skywalker character. Um, I think that's, uh, I think that's something that you definitely see in Johnson's film because, you know, when you listen to that uh, empire podcast interview, he talks about that idea that he firmly falls in the camp of Ray, which is the one who, it is not about throwing everything away. It's about what do we keep and what do we let go of? What's important, what must be kept, and what can be let go of? And the, the wisdom to know what those two things are. So, you know, I think of it in terms of, um, you know, uh, spirituality sense of, okay, what here is the absolute truth of the matter and what's the dogma that we may have added on top mm-hmm. and what in that dogma can could could be deconstructed or taken away and let go of so we kind of get back to the purity of just the essence of what it means to be a 100% true jedi without anything else beyond that and I think we see that, you know, expressed in the film with these Jedi texts and Rey beholding to the legend of Luke Skywalker, which is the one who believes in redemption. Yeah. Um, and I think what makes that not as clear in the film um, or kind of the, seeing the, 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 the depth of that and makes it muddy is the fact that Luke doesn't seem to hold that view anymore, even when he comes back, uh, even when he faces off against Kylo, because he's not there to be the legend in the sense of the one who offers redemption. He's just there to, to allow them to escape, which is the self-sacrificial act, but it's not the full act of Luke Skywalker as the legend. And so I think it's very interesting that at the end of the movie when you get, you know, the kids telling the story of Luke Skywalker standing off and how the heck they learned that story already. I'll never know. Um, so it seems pretty quick. Yeah. Apparently news travels fast in the galaxy. Um, but Especially to slave children on a cannibal bike. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, they just heard it uh, over, you know, cleaning up the father's poo. And so, um, but I, I think... The interesting part of that is that the legend of Luke Skywalker there is still only half the legend. Rey is holding on to the true legend, uh, I believe, because when she talks about the idea of legend with Luke, she says, uh, "She says, but you, you didn't believe him. You saved him. Yeah, you know." And he's like, he talks, but he he has the conversation with her about you know. Uh, that's just, you know, that's part of legend. And she's like, well, you know, I think maybe the galaxy needs a legend. And she really understands this idea. But it's not the idea of legend status, like that. It whether it's her or Luke. It's what that legend is built on. The truth that it's built on of self-sacrifice and the offer of redemption. And really offering somebody redemption, not just it being... Um, uh, half-hearted you know she truly offers kylo redemption she says come with me we can we you know you don't have to be this we can you know you don't have to do this and he clearly turns his back on that um so she is mimicking the the legend of luke skywalker there and so 
Um, I just think it's muddy because Luke Skywalker himself doesn't actually mirror the full beauty of what we saw in Return of the Jedi. And so sadly, Luke is still kind of, I think, um, only half a legend at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, don't it's, worry. We're yeah. still flying half a legend. <laughs> Another happy legend. Um, yeah. You know, it, what is interesting though is, you know, when Luke is invested in his Jedi training, it's in the confines of no Jedi order though, right? Like he has Ben Kenobi and then Yoda and that's it. Um, and he talks, you know, he tells Ray, you know, for a long time there was balance. Um, and what seems to have brought the balance out of whack was obviously the fall of Ben. Um, and, uh, it, to me, what could be interesting though, is the fact that maybe that's part of why Luke does think that the idea of a Jedi order is just not great. Like, you know, um, look, when I look back at what the Jedi order was, it was defunct. It got broken. Um, I tried to rebuild it. It also didn't work. It was broken. So maybe in Luke's eyes, the best thing is to just have some sort of solitary Jedi, some sort of, right? Like the idea of an order to him could be uh, just broken. But isn't, I mean, so when we do that thought experiment, though, if Luke was truly being honest, shouldn't he see that his disbelief that Kylo could be turned even before he's even done anything. The kid hasn't done anything. He's only had flashes of darkness, and apparently Luke's looked in his mind and seen, you know, utter darkness. Um, but he he's never actually talked to Kylo about it. He's never broached the subject with him. He just makes the assumption, he makes the judgment that he's beyond saving and then makes a foolhardy move of igniting his lightsaber over his nephew to kill him before he can destroy the galaxy, right? Um, which I get. Look, you're mimicking the whole, if you were standing over baby Hitler, would you kill baby Hitler, right? That's the question. But the problem is, is that we already know that Luke Skywalker has saved space Hitler. So... The, the the question for him shouldn't be about should be about Kylo giving Ben the chance to follow the right path through his guidance, through having an open and honest conversation with him about what's happened. And the problem is is that so much of this is shrouded in mystery because we still don't understand the enigma of Snoke and how that fall when when Luke says, "Oh, Snoke already had his heart." What? Like we don't know. It doesn't make any sense because we have no context for that. All we know are these very little things. So what we're left to infer seems to me a problem with the understanding of Luke Skywalker himself, what he's been through in his life. And I feel like it would have to be a lot more to lead him to this moment than what we see. And this is the beauty of, and I'll call out here, Mark Herleman might be listening, but the beauty of Legends is that when Luke in Legends turns his back on Jason Solo, he has 40 years experience of dealing with dark people 
awful things happening to him in his life. He's lost his wife to this person, you know, like, and he has seen that there is no hope of redemption for him. But it's because we have all of that context to see what happened to bring us to that point for Luke to make that decision. It's not out of the blue. This feels so out of the blue because we don't know what would lead Luke Skywalker. The last time we saw him was in Return of the Jedi where he throws his saber away and is willing to die for what he believes in. You know, that 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 lack of, of understanding hurts the story. And now if we had filled in those gaps and somehow found a way in Episode 7 to, to talk about the fall of Ben Solo and all of that stuff, which is exactly what Lucas wanted to do. The, the first movie was going to be all about Luke and Ray uh, in Episode 7. I, I think you would have totally changed the course of, of the storytelling. It made it feel more organic. This just, again, it just doesn't feel as organic because we don't understand the character of Luke Skywalker because he seems incongruous with what we knew beforehand. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, clearly Mark Hamill felt the same way, Um, you know, and apparently, yes, like he did kind of come around to it and he, and he acted the role perfectly as it's written. But I think that does say something when someone who's, you know, who portrayed a character and has been faithful to that portrayal for, you know, its entire existence for him to say like, whoa, this doesn't make any sense. Like it's worth paying attention to. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so to me, the one, def- the defense, the defense, strong word that the, 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 you know, the way I would respond to what you were just talking about is I think part of why it, it doesn't bother me that Luke contemplates for a moment cutting down his nephew is he's a Skywalker in the sense of like, this is Anakin, you know, he, he, we see him looking into Ben's future, right? Which is a very Anakin thing to do, you know, looking ahead, seeing, being haunted by these dreams and then trying to act to prevent them. But Luke immediately knows like, wait a minute, that's not me. And he, you know, deactivates the blade, but it's too late. Um, it's just, you know, and he's already done the damage. So I like, I totally get that. Like, I don't, that doesn't seem to make sense for Luke's character, but I think it, it, there's some level of, of explanation of where he does say like it, it passed like a fleeting shadow, right? Like it was but a moment of weakness. And Ray's the one who even says to him, like you, you know, your only failure was thinking that his decision was made. But I think Luke knew that, like he knew that was the case. To me, the bigger issue um, is that he just leaves. Um, Right, like that he doesn't go off with a purpose of how will I make this right now again, um I think you know Ryan Johnson has his explanation for that it's in the art of book, it's in his interview on Empire, where he says, you know ultimately luke's Luke's whole um his thesis statement, if you will, as to why Luke leaves is Luke's belief is that the system is broken, I'm going to let the Jedi end, I'm going to let all of this stuff fall apart. So that something, the force can bring up something new and that can be what the galaxy needs. That's why I'm going to cut myself off from the force. I'm going to end this cycle of, of destruction and let the force bring up something new. 
that's Ryan's explanation as to what Luke's doing and why to him, Luke is still a hero. Luke's making this huge sacrifice of himself. Um, I don't particularly love that point to begin with, but also I think the story in last Jedi does not portray that. All it portrays is that Luke is on Octu to die and let the Jedi die too. We never get a sense that he's there with any sort of inclination for what the future will hold that could be brighter. Um, and I think that's a huge failure on Luke's on, on the way they portrayed Luke's character, right? Like Ryan has that in his head, but he doesn't give it to us. Um, yeah. I don't think, I mean, again, I didn't know that until I read that book Now maybe I missed something and that's fair. Like it is a very dense movie. I know there's a lot of digging to do, but I think, you know, I think that's why there was such an uproar about Luke um, is again, there's just all these little things that just felt out of character for him that well um like i i think the the thing is is and i think you're absolutely 100 correct to point out that it doesn't really play out well enough the film there doesn't seem to be enough focus to that uh that story point um but what what strikes me is odd is just doing the thought experiment right so let's just take up what we know uh, so the Jedi, for over a thousand generations, were the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. Okay, so let's say that the last 200 generations, right, that they started to get arrogant, they started to fall into the trap of being, you know, a part of the Republic in a way that they shouldn't, started stop kind of listening to um, the will of the force and they became obsessed with the future what was the future it was the the prophecy of the chosen one so if anything in star wars it should be this is the lesson that we should learn stop looking to the future your your mind should be here what does yoda tell luke you know always looking to the future never on where he was or what he was doing you know so our focus and Qui-Gon knew this. Our focus should be here and now. Because our focus determines our reality. So, the Jedi Fall had to do with looking for a chosen one instead of listening to the will of the Force. And so to say that the entire Jedi Order needs to end because Luke Skywalker can't make it work seems kind of arrogant. It also seems pretty arrogant to say that 800 generations of Jedi, yeah, probably just not great. You know, we should, you know, there's probably nothing there to learn. We should just probably throw it away. On top of that, what what did we learn from the Last Jedi? It doesn't seem like Luke's read those books, does it? <laughs> yep. Yeah, he's got the, the original Jedi text, but it doesn't feel like Luke's actually cracked those suckers open. So, um, and then. To add another layer of of of, of this thought, thought experiment, where are the Force ghosts? Why aren't they helping Luke? If Yoda can show up in this movie, where has he been all this time? Isn't the whole point of of finding a way to bring back yourself through the Force the 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 joy of being a Jedi, the 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 reward of being a Jedi, um, and being able to influence then the next generation. So you put all these things together and like 
those are just the things I would be thinking about if I'm writing the movie, because those are all the things that we know about Star Wars, about the Jedi, and where we get to, I feel like, in The Last Jedi doesn't seem to go in line with just what we already know of the prequel trilogy, the original trilogy, Clone Wars, all the things that we've learned, plus where we left Luke Skywalker, those things don't all seem to fit in the same puzzle. And it seems disappointing to me that it doesn't feel like that thought process was really, truly, like, thought out. And a part of that, I think, is that you didn't sit down with every single person who was going to be working on this this trilogy and the writers and come up with the story together so you had a cohesive whole. And I think that's the other incongruity that we're feeling is that The Last Jedi, to me, also seems to discount a lot of the things we even got in The Last Jedi. I mean, in The, uh, the Force Awakens. Um, and... To tell us then as fans, oh, all the things you thought are important there aren't really important. Well, if I look at Star Wars for 40 years, the things that they told us were important in each film were important in the next film too. You know, like Luke Skywalker's journey as a Jedi didn't all of a sudden become non-important. You know, like yeah. in, in, in Empire Strikes Back, like, so I don't know. It just those are some of the things to me. Just it kind of my thought experiment of like kind of going through that whole thing is is it's not coming at it from a, a sense of hate or whatever. It's just coming at it from a sense of love of this 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 saga and trying to figure out like how does this all work together um, because it seemed to have worked decently well. I mean, obviously there's. It's 40 years, and it's a creation of man, so it's not perfect. Um, but it, it seemed to flow together pretty well, and, and those are things that just bothered me because it didn't seem to fit the rest of mythology the way that just looking through those things, you're like, okay, well, that, that leaves me scratching my head. So, mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I've this is why I mean, I've loved listening to you and uh, – you know, John over on aggressive negoti- negotiations break a lot of this stuff down in the last few of your episodes. I also love the way John Mills says the word because, on um, because, love that he says that <laughs> word by the way. Um, oh, John, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, and I appreciate the way you ended that with like because that's so true, right? Like for both of us, because there were a lot of things in the Last Jedi that really just that yeah, it still don't really work for me, and I don't necessarily say these to be like i hate this film and you should too because i first off i don't hate the film i like it very much yeah um but you know it's said from this place of love this long-standing passion i've had for star wars and for its like you know rich history where i i like the way you put it like i'm just still scratching my head on some of these things and i don't see where it came together and you know, you talked about this a little bit earlier in the show, but the idea of like somebody like Dave or no, we were talking about this off air. I'm sorry. At least I think we were talking about like Dave Filoni compared to somebody like Ryan Johnson. Dave Filoni is the one man who understands Star Wars the most besides George Lucas. And yet they still haven't tapped him to make a film. Ryan Johnson is a great filmmaker. He told a great story. He made a great film. 
but I think he really missed out on a lot of key Star Wars elements. Um, and uh, and that's not to knock him. And I and I in no way think Ryan Johnson in any way disrespected or belittled Star Wars. Not in any way, shape, yeah, or form. Um, but uh, yeah, like I just you know I think um, again this is this again why we have these conversations now in the Disney era is George is not making this stuff anymore and for whether that's a good or bad thing is dependent upon every individual. The reality is, is he's not making these things anymore and he's not going to. Um, and that's okay. And like, I think we're getting great product. Like all three of these films have been very good films. Um, it's just, like you said, there's something very different, not coming out of the imagination of one person. Um, George filtered that imagination through lots of people in the originals, which I still think wires, the originals are still the, the best of these films. Um, as far as a concrete story. Um, but even the prequels, like it's this one man's imagination. He knew what he wanted to do with it. Um, and then he passed a lot of that knowledge on to somebody who's just kind of tossed to the side. Of the, and I, I even feel like rebels is getting kind of tossed aside. Um, right. Like it's, it's just like, Oh, we're going to bang out a few more mm-hmm. episodes and then yeah. that series is over. And, you know, I mean, whatever the next and they've made it clear that there will be another project coming out of Lucasfilm animation. And I still really hope that it's a a TV series that follows our big three after Return of the Jedi. And I hope Dave Filoni is running it. Um, That's my hope. Um, But he's the man who I think does get Star Wars the most. Um, I mean, he's made some decisions that I don't particularly love as well. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I think... um, Anyway, I don't know what I'm saying. I think I think the the thing about um, I think the thing that I love about Filoni though is that even when there's been a time where that I don't completely agree with him on something, what I love about him is that he's able to walk you through every single facet of the Star Wars question. You know, like as a fan and as somebody who knows Star Wars intimately. And in much the same way that George does, like, you know, he has that same kind of knowledge. So because he can do that, um, he is, I believe, always thinking about the full mythology and weight of Star Wars, you know, and and I feel that in most of the things that he that they've done in Rebels that, you know, um, a lot of times, you, you know, I can I feel uh when there's kind of a question that it's not as much Filoni as it is the Disney influence that he has working with Disney XD and doing the show, you know, through the Disney lens. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I really do think, um, you know, George had found somebody, uh, in the Clone Wars in Dave Filoni that was a kindred spirit to him finally was the person who understood Star Wars the way he did and was willing to put himself under the master and to learn and never consider himself above the master. But they would go back and forth with discussions and stuff, you know, like famous argument, does Ahsoka have to die? George is yes, Dave is no, you know. Um, So, and as they went on, I think George started to move closer and closer to no because he fell in love with her too and he wanted to find a way to keep using her you know so like all these things i think it's um i'm right there with you i would love to see lucasfilm really utilize the resources that it has and somebody like 
Filoni to help them create and craft stories. And if anything, if this, this sequel trilogy has taught us anything, I think, it's that if you're going to do a trilogy of films together, it's best to have that trilogy planned out together with your creatives beforehand just so that things flow together very well. Um, because the difference of George making three films and then three different people making three films in the same, you know, uh, the same franchise is very different, you know? Um, so I, I, I think we're seeing that and hopefully it's something, you know, you live and you learn and, and, um, there's there's great moments in the the Last Jedi. There's Ryan Johnson is a fantastic guy. Like I, just, I love listening to him talk. He's the nicest person ever. Um, and uh, but um, I think when it comes to telling uh, specifically Skywalker stories, um, I don't know if he was the right choice. Yeah. So. And you know, you know, and I and I appreciate you putting it that way, like that, that telling the Skywalker story because this sequel trilogy is supposed to be the Skywalker story, and um, I mean it, it is. I don't know that it's doing a great job specifically at telling the Skywalker story, um, but uh, you know, I think um, it's, I've heard a lot of fans, I've heard a lot of other podcast hosts say that you know I'm sick of the Skywalkers, I want different things from Star Wars. Which I don't like. So again, I get it comes down to preference. So as someone who loves the Skywalker saga um, and will you know be more excited about those films than I will some standalones to see what they've done with the Skywalker story so far. Um, and I keep coming down to this question. I still don't have an answer for it because um, I don't think they have one yet. Is why are you telling this story? Um, I, I don't get- know. I mean, uh, we both absolutely one hundred percent love Rogue One and. The only Skywalker in that film shows up at the very end for like three seconds. Right. And unless you count Anakin Skywalker, but he's Darth Vader at that point. Right. So, you know, I mean, it, it, I think that it, there is the possibility to be able to do that. I think, you know, um, when I think of Rebels, I really like those characters. Yeah. You know, I've really grown to love grown, grown to love those characters. When I think of the Clone Wars, you know, I think of Anakin and, and Obi-Wan, right? But the one I really think of is Ahsoka because it's kind of her show. Yeah. Like, um, it doesn't have to be a Skywalker to be an amazing Star Wars story. Good point. So, um, I, I think that, that we've seen that that can definitely work. Um, and it's been done, I think, beautifully in, in Rogue One. So, um, find a way to tell those kind of stories in Star Wars. And I'm on board 100% of the time, every single time. Yeah. Yep. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd, uh, oh, man, I was just thinking of something and I completely lost my point. My train of thought. What 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 were you just saying right bef- right as you start talking? Sorry. Oh, the well, oh, darn it! I it, that's going to be lost to time because I don't remember what I was going to say. I <laughs> uh, love when that happens. Um, but uh, yeah, darn it! I know. Ugh, I thought I felt like it was such a good point, but alas, it has escaped me. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean the. Uh, Oh, I know what to say. <laughs> the um, the question I you know that I that I loved that JJ raised when they were you know I read this in the Art of Force Awakens book is you know why do we want to keep telling the Star Wars story and you know 
And it ultimately should be because we have something to tell, right? Just like George wanted to pass on lessons to, to young people, Star Wars should continue to want to do that. And I think that it has. I think Force Awakens has lessons. Last Jedi has lessons. Um, you know, and you know, why, why did they, why are they continuing this story? Yeah. There's a lot of great truths within the last Jedi for sure. No, no doubt about it. Um, but I think the deeper question I still have the in universe canon question that I have is, but why are you telling this story? Like what? I, I still don't think that there's a good answer. Um, and again, part of that is because return of the Jedi is such a perfect ending and it's meant to be. Um, but, uh, you know, like it, it doesn't um, it doesn't it doesn't answer that question of why are we continuing the Skywalker story? Because they could Disney could have just said, you know, we're going to make Star Wars films. Um, they're going to be these standalone films. You know, we're going to do a couple every uh, every few years and this, that and the other thing. But it makes sense why the first thing they wanted to do was make seven, eight and nine. I totally get it from a marketing standpoint. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but be very clear of like, why do you want to continue this mythological saga? Um, because I think, and that is why I think there is such big complaints about last Jedi, which to me is why they're valid complaints is a lot of the people, just a lot of fans feel like it's, um, in a way diminished what came before. Um, and again, you and I both agree that that was never the intention. I get really annoyed by how aggressive some fans are and, you know, F you Ryan Johnson, you screwed star Wars like this grow up like shut up like that's what i have to say to those people just shut yeah, up because absolutely you're not bringing 100 agree <laughs> yeah you're not bringing anything to the conversation all you're bringing is is my expectations weren't met and i hate you for it it's like nope grow up um you have and, and again like but i get why there is pushback right like there there's a lot of the, just these subtleties that i felt like were just kind of dropped unintentionally by all means um but that just don't work for some of us um and i think some of us are mature enough to just be able to say yeah that didn't really work for me but i still love star wars <laughs> you know well and i think i think that's a thing that's um you know it, so the original question that jj asked then about why do we continue this trilogy the question he asked was who is luke skywalker that's the question that jj came up with and it's a great question it's like who is luke skywalker after return of the jedi what happens to this character? Like, what is it that, that, that then drives this character forward? Where you know, so that was the main impetus for telling the the story in Episode Seven, um, and I think it's a great question um, because it's it's the why we're telling this. You know, it's it's the it's the uh, it's the motivation, and it, it becomes the motivation for every character throughout that film, right? Yeah, and so. When that, and we knew that going into The Last Jedi, that that had been J.J.'s thought process. So when we get the answer in The Last Jedi, and it seems to be quite incongruous then with what we knew from the past and, and, and the, the, the problems that I have with kind of the way that the story is unfolded for us, um, th- I think that's the problem, is it it, it, it didn't feel... It feels disingenuous with the original question of who is Luke Skywalker, because with the que- the the end answer, I don't know who Luke Skywalker is at the end of the Last Jedi. Is he 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 doesn't feel like as much of a hero as he did at the end of the Return of the Jedi, because as I said er- earlier, is 
he feels like half that hero, not that whole hero, because yeah. he's discounted the redemption part. And that was the legend of Luke. And so we have half a legend. Yeah. And I guess that's not the answer I wanted for the end of the Luke Skywalker story. Now, the beauty is that episode nine, you know Mark Hamill's going to be back as a force ghost, especially with, you know, Carrie not being there because of her unfortunate death. You know, uh, that takes away the part of the story that we knew they were going to, you know, uh, Trevorrow had already said this was Leia's movie. She was going to play the biggest role. This was going to be the one really about Leia. Um, without her there, I think we're really going to get Luke back as the Force Ghost. And I think maybe, just maybe, uh, Chris Terrio can find a way to kind of bring this all together. Um, I don't envy his his task, though, to try and bring what we got, the kind of the main question there in Force Awakens, what we then got in The Last Jedi, and trying to find a way to answer that in episode nine maybe wrap up that answer of who is luke skywalker um to me if i'm chris terrio that's where i start Mm. so who is luke skywalker what did we get in last jedi and then how can we finish that answer in the um whatever they end up calling episode nine so yeah you know, I'm, if you need some help, Chris Terrio, I'm I'm totally available. You can hit me up at Matt Rushing Zero Two on Twitter. I totally would help you write the the movie. No problem. You know, I think um, a, a question I've had, especially after Last Jedi came out, um, which was a similar question I sometimes had throughout the prequel trilogy, was so for the prequels, I I always said mm, did. Did Anakin have to be a chosen one? Did he have to have this virgin birthright? Did Anakin have to be something so big and larger than life? Or could that story of Anakin just been he was a very great Jedi who fell, right? Um, and diminish some of this, you know, chosen one language. I don't mind the chosen one language. It works fine for me. But sometimes I think like, well, did we really need that? And the question I now ask with the sequel trilogy is, did we, as much as we all wanted it, myself included, did we need the big three playing such a central role, right? Like, could this have been, you know, just that, like, their their role's kind of done? Because I think with them, what they chose to do with them, right, is, like, they become very splintered and broken. Um, and I think, again, like, a lot of fans, like, that, like, really shocked them of, like, no, wait, these are our big heroes. So what if this had been... Just like later on, like Han Leia are dead, right? They're just, they were old and they died. <laughs> and Luke's like an old Jedi. So maybe even make this like 40, 50 years later from Return of the Jedi. And there's just a new threat coming to power and Luke just has to pass the torch because his fighting days are over. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, like... The way like Obi-Wan had to. Exactly. I mean, um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't presume to be the you know, Star Wars guru who could write these stories. But, you know, as much as myself really wanted the big three back, sometimes I think maybe there, maybe there was a little bit of a danger bringing them back though. Right. Because, um, how do you stay faithful to their characters? Um, without letting them overpower things. Right. Cause that was what they said. You know, the reason we couldn't bring Luke in into force awakens is he just took over the story. Well, not if Han and Leia aren't there and not if he doesn't come into later and he is just the mentor. Um, 
and yeah, Kylo could still be his nephew or something. Um, you know, and you know, just, I don't know, clearly just speculating here, but, um, I think it would have been tough to not have the big three in a, in a capacity, but maybe they've, maybe they've used them too much. Um, cause I still think one of the things that hasn't quite hit on all the right cylinders for me with the sequel trilogy is that our, all of our new main heroes don't feel like a family the way the big three did. Um, right. Like Poe and Poe and Ray really just met for the first time. Um, you know, Finn and Poe don't really continue. I mean, yes, they're kind of working together over their, you know, uh, their cell phone. Um, but right. Like those, just the way the big three came together. I mean, yeah, most specifically in a new hope. Cause yes, then they do kind of go on their own adventures and, and empire, but the way they just felt like a working family that, you know, it just doesn't seem to be happening with the new heroes. Um, well, I think this is the this was the genius of, of what Lucas wanted to do, right? He wanted episode seven to be about Ray, or it was Kira at that point, right? But Kira finding Skywalker and reigniting the flame in Skywalker, so that by the end of that movie, he was back to being the Luke you knew. Um, but it was because he had lost his Jedi Temple to his nephew who had turned on him and dest- destroyed it. And I can totally understand in the film then why that leaves Luke going out to have to find answers, right? Like my own nephew turned on me. Why? What did I miss? You know, and especially if you add in a Snoke character who, what if Snoke is the character that everybody loves in the galaxy and thinks is the greatest thing ever, but it turns out he's even sneakier and worse than Palpatine and has lured, um, you know, Ben to his side right under Luke's nose. Like, how did Luke miss that? You know, like, so you really create this need for Luke to go out into the galaxy and figure out what the heck he missed in the force. Is there something he doing wrong? Is it like he, you know, what does he not, what does he not know that he doesn't know that he needs to know? Um, so that he really has a, a reason for being on this journey uh, and so when he is at the last Jedi temple or at the first Jedi temple and Kira finds him, um, he's been waiting there because he's been doing what then Yoda was doing for him on Dagobah. He was waiting for the force to bring the right person to train, but he still has doubts. And the whole movie is about him, you know, wrestling with those doubts then you can still create the other side of the story um, with the, the resistance. You can you could have the fall of the Republic, you know. Um, you could make it more, I think, mean more because it could really be about the Republic truly falling and the First Order destroying it and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, make that more epic, make that mean something. But at the same time, you're really honoring the character of Luke as he comes back. And I think um, Lucas just knew that. He knew instinctively that if we're going to do Luke, we gotta, it, it's got to be about him. Because really, he's the one who's going to pass on what we understand truly about Star Wars, which is it's about the spirituality needed to be passed on, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think he completely got that and... and 
by moving Luke to episode eight and not really touching a lot of this backstory and everything, you left just too many questions and too much for, you know, Ryan Johnson to do. And then in the end, Ryan didn't necessarily seem interested in answering a lot of questions that had been set up. So, um, yeah, you know, he made the movie he wanted to make and, you know, you can't fault him for that. That's, I mean, that's what he got hired to do and, uh, Lucasfilm loved it. So, yeah, we're in, we're in a new era of star Wars, right? At the end of the day, we're in a new era of star Wars and, um, to just bring this around full circle, uh, just to start wrapping up. Cause I know we could keep talking for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Um, but you know, Within this new era of Star Wars, are we still able to feel Star Wars? And I think the answer is yes. Um, I mean, the fact that we can even have this many questions, we can have this level of discussion, shows that we're feeling Star Wars, right? Um, even if things like that we're talking about, like, oh, well, this kind of feels off for Star Wars, um, the elements are all still there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, we still leave these films changed wanting to be something more feeling creative having fun feeling better about the world in general then i think these are going to continue to succeed as star wars films um and uh yeah i mean my only the, the only thing i would still love to scream at disney at an executive board meeting is stop making so many so quickly um I'm still of that opinion. I know there's others who aren't, um, and that's fine. You're entitled to that opinion. Um, but again, like something like Last Jedi, which is just incredibly dense, um, which again is very new for Star Wars. I mean, there there is a density to all of Star Wars for sure, um, but I think there I think there is a much simpler morality. There's a much simpler story in most of the other films that Ryan Johnson really just packed a lot in to his film, which is why it is so damn long. <laughs> um, but uh, and that's that's not that's not a judgment. It's a, it's a fact. And I think for some fans, it's like, you know what? It's a little too dense. Um, it it was it was awkwardly dense. Um, and for some people, they want to dig right in. They love that. And I think for others, it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is this is a bit much, right? And again, we're, yeah. And I think it, it didn't have. Um, I think what it was is that it's dense. But it also didn't feel as focused yeah. as, like, I felt like it. You know, I feel like the prequel trilogy is pretty dense. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers. Um, and when you keep pulling them back, you're seeing all the places that Lucas is drawing from mythologically and uh, historically and all of these things that he's doing. It, it, there's so much happening in that. But at the same time, it I don't feel like it. It always had, I felt like was very focused because it's storytelling focus was the story of Anakin, you know, and what happens around him, you know, the, this, this sequel trilogy, I think is having a trouble figuring out what the focus should be. Like what's the focus through line. They don't know because they haven't worked together. And I really like your idea of if, if you do a film every three years, like George did, You've got the production time of each one longer, uh, and then you have the reaction to that film, but you also have the opportunity to sit with that story, you know, because 
because Ryan's writing this film as they're filming, you know, episode seven. Yeah. And that's tough. Right. Because, you know, JJ's kind of making little changes on the fly, you know, with Kasdan, you know, they're doing things, they're tinkering their script. You know, Ryan's trying to write around, you know, all of that, you know, but giving them an opportunity to have Ryan be able to sit down, watch the, the Force Awakens, the full film as he's writing what he's going to write so that he can sit and think and have that time. Like time is not your enemy. Time is your friend. Um, because time helps you create really thought-provoking, well, really well-thought-out ideas because you've had that opportunity to mull over. And that's what we obviously do as podcasters with Star Wars. We sit here and we dissect, we think, we mull over for years. Um, I want my filmmakers to be able to do that same thing. I don't have to have a Star Wars movie come out every five seconds because then it's not special anymore anyway. Right. Um, I want my Star Wars to be special. I'd rather it only be that we got a Star Wars movie every, you know, three years or every two years in the sense that, like, maybe the episodes were on a three-year track and then in between those you would get Star Wars story mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. So that, you know, you weren't... So, yeah, I I absolutely 100%... I think you're right on target. I think that, again... Um, you don't want to oversaturate the market, but you also don't want to hurt yourself by not allowing yourself the the time, even as the creative, to truly be able to think through, especially if you're going to make the films the way you are, which is not sitting in a story group together before you even make any part of the trilogy and really hammer out what the details are. So, Yeah. And, well, real quick, I just – I love what you just said about the idea of focus though and, and – and the subsequent trilogies, I think, you know, George had a very clear focus in the prequels of, I'm going to tell the story of how the Republic fell and an empire rose. And I'll also tell the personal story of how a hero fell from grace. Right. And he worked out the details over those years, even in the originals where people say, well, like, Oh, George didn't, you know, it's clear. He didn't know that Luke and Leia were siblings or that even right off this bat, that Vader was the father. All very true. However, Lucas's focus for the original trilogy was telling the story of a hero named Luke Skywalker. And I think by the time we get to Return of the Jedi, what can make him the most heroic character? To redeem the most evil person, right? There's nothing more heroic than that, than redemption of someone that you would think to be irredeemable. So I think Lucas did have a focus. How do I tell the most you know, heroic story? How do I tell the story of um, falling from grace? the sequels what is its focus i don't know i don't know <laughs> like it, i don't i just don't know is it ray well i mean mark hamill did say you know like it's not my story anymore okay well is it ray's um i feel like ray's story could be beefed up quite a bit <laughs> you know quite a bit um she still doesn't feel like the protagonist the way luke did in the originals um i well, love ray don't get- i kind of made kylo feel more like the protagonist right and don't give me i love ray i think she's a great yeah, character but i think i think they're shortchanging us on on who she is too mm-hmm. um not by making her a nobody i care less if she's a nobody or a skywalker at this point i don't think that matters i think there's benefits to both um but yeah there's just something very unfocused about her story um and uh, right like she shows up there gets no training um gets gets two lessons 
Um, and you know, yes, I get it. The force is very strong in her. She doesn't need extensive training. Okay. Whatever. Um, but also part of the training of Luke though, is teaching us about him as a character, right? Like his failing to raise that X-wing shows what are, what is, what's holding him back? What is he failing at? Um, right. Like that, that struggle he has throughout his Dagobah experience tells us about him as a character. Ray doesn't really, I still don't think she has any profound struggles. Um, and again, I think that's a detriment to her character. I mean, yes, her ultimate failure in last Jedi is her naivete with thinking that she'll leave and turn Ben. Um, she fails in that. Sure. But I don't know, like there's just not that subtlety of complexity to her that, you know, um, yeah, that, that just makes her a little bit wanting for me. Um, she, so the question I came to is that is she the avatar for the daughter and is Kylo the son? And now we uh, just need the one in the middle? Yeah. The Bendu. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Stuck in the Bendu with you. <laughs> Maybe Kanan will come back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so. Or Ezra. That, oh, God. Because that kind of seemed to be. Um, the question that I came to, I guess, just to quickly kind of wrap this up, because I know... Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're going a bit long. <laughs> but, so that that became a question for me. Like, is the reason that Ray is so virtuous and so really unencumbered or... Uh, she's not really tempted by the dark side. Like, when you look at her yeah. temptation in in the cave, it's not the same as Luke's whatsoever. Luke's was... Be careful, or you'll become your fa- your father. Basically, you're going to become uh, a monster if if you go if you choose the wrong path. Ray's was, I want to know who I am, and her answer was, "Well, you're really just who you are." Mm-hmm. That's not awful to learn that right. you are just the sum of your own choices. That's actually kind of a good lesson, right? So Ray seems to not have very many faults to her. Um, and not really be tempted so much by the dark side. So um, one quick thing I wanted to mention, I feel like maybe if you had added a scene, and I thought this way back, and I forgot to mention it, but if you'd add a scene after the explosion of the lightsaber, the battle between them and the explosion of the lightsaber after they pull it apart with the Force, if you had added a scene in there where Rey has to try to make the same choice that Luke did, do I kill Ben? Mm. now if you gave her that moment i think you and you give us a a sense of what luke then was feeling and i think you make that a stronger point but not allowing ray to have that moment of standing over ben where he's still unconscious and she's holding his lightsaber do i do i make that choice you know or maybe it's not even she's holding the lightsaber but she's She's got her hand out to call his saber to her, and she stops because she realizes this is not the right choice. You know, like, this is not the way this should go. He, I shouldn't, you know? Like, I think if you do that, you create a connection then that allows the audience and maybe even me to feel much more comfortable with the decision then that Luke almost made. Yeah, because you create that mirror and they didn't do that in the film and I'm surprised that they didn't Mm -hmm. because we know that she woke up before him clearly yeah 
And so um, I think that you rob us of a really beautiful bit of symmetry to add to the mythology of the story um, and give her that same choice and have her completely overcome it in the sense that maybe she doesn't. Maybe it's a, a moment where she looks at him, looks at the lightsaber, and she just walks out the door. But she doesn't even do anything like Luke did. She just completely makes the right choice. So, again, I just think something like that, just thinking through these things a little bit, I feel like you can add these little moments that would have completely, like, twisted and changed and and accentuated the story in a way that I think would have really helped. Yeah. That's that's great. You know, and I love love when you, you, because I know you guys talked about this on your most recent episode on on aggressive negotiations, how how neat it would be if like, well, like th- this idea though, that Ray is the daughter and Kylo's the son and who's going to be the middle, right? We'll have to figure that out. Um, that's really interesting. Soka comes back and she's the mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That could be. There it. you go. The thing is though, is, <laughs> and, and, and this is going to sound a little snarky and rude and I don't mean it to be, but I don't think Ryan has given enough attention to any of that stuff. Like at the end of the day, I don't think he came in and was caught up on all the source material of star Wars. And to some degree, I get it, right? There's a lot. I mean, which is the exact reason they got rid of the you know old canon, which, again, I completely agree with. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself um, to something so limiting because, it, because of its extensive history. But we still do have all this canon material, Clone Wars, Rebels, um, where it, I, I just feel like, you know, and it just comes from some of the statements Ryan made, like I came to make my own story, and I still feel like, both Ryan and JJ as well, like they're just thinking about the original trilogy um, and not much else. And again, like that's their prerogative. I, I'm not shaming them for doing it. I just think it's a shame because we do have all this other stuff now and to not pretend like that's not in, to pretend that's not in your sandbox, I think is a little foolhardy. Um, you know, we've gotten this huge sandbox. They they made it a lot smaller for you, <laughs> but I yeah. think they still, you know, they still just kind of came and, and did what they wanted to do, which, again, that's totally fine. Actually, I saw Last Jedi this past weekend with, with two really good friends, and it was the most fun I ever had seeing it. I enjoyed it so much more than any of the other viewings. And never did I hate it, but I appreciate it so much more. And, like, both of my friends have no issue at all with Broom Boy at the end. But I still hate it. I'm going to always hate it. Um, but I said to them, I'm like, at the end of the day, I don't care. I can simply overlook it in the same way that I overlooked Hayden Christensen being put in the Force Ghost at the end of Return of the Jedi. Because the reason I at least respect it is because Ryan, Ryan was very adamant about he, – like he knew that closing shot in the Falcon. Like I know this is the end of this film, but I knew I needed to do this little coda in a way to complete my story. And I have nothing but respect for him for doing that. Like be faithful to that story of yours. I hate it. I think it's really, really bad in the sense that it's not as mo- it's not a Star Wars ending movie. Um, and but at the end of the day, like that was his vision, and that's fine. I can overlook it. It's not a big deal. Um, so, you know, he was faithful to his vision. He is a creative that was inspired by the Star Wars feeling. There, boom, and episode end. <laughs> So, and and I think to wrap up, it's the last thing I want to say is this. Um, I I think this is the difference. If you're making the Skywalker saga, 
you can't be beholden to your vision. You need to be beholden to what came before with George's vision because we're, we're continuing his saga, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the Star Wars stories are the place for you to be able to take your vision of Star Wars and to make that. But I think that's the thing that... Um, and that's the thing, obviously, you know, J.J. got knocked on, and I think rightly somewhat for um, The Force Awakens is it being um, a little too much aping and not enough of the creativity of we're adding to Star Wars, but we're making it familiar and all those kinds of like What we talked about at the very beginning of the episode, what is that Star Wars feeling? And I think, though, that creating something that is com- completely in line with all six original films plus specifically the clone wars because we're following the skywalker story there and and it's george's story so i I just think you know um in a lot of ways the episodes aren't necessarily the place for the most um, amount of experimentation that you can do because there is kind of a a structure and a progression of story that we need to follow. Um, and so, you know, uh, but they've already done what they wanted to do in seven and eight, and now we'll see what they do with nine. And I think the, the most interesting thing is to see where Star Wars goes from there. Do we do any more episodes or we stop episodes? Do we just focus on, you know, other trilogies like they've apparently given one to, you know, Ryan Johnson, a whole new trilogy with whole new characters and, you know, hopefully these things, um, you know, do what we always hope is to create brand new Star Wars stories that we love and cherish and just talk about for hours and hours on end. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and so, again, just Rogue One shows us the success that Star Wars can have a successful future without telling the saga films. Um, I think they've struggled with the saga films, in my opinion. So, in a way, I hope nine's the end, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do 10, 11, 12. I would, I would pray to every aspect of the Force that 12 would be the dead last of the saga films. I really would never want 13, 14, 15, let alone 16, 17, 18. Um, you know, but it doesn't matter what I think. They'll make what they'll make. I know I will see them, and I'm sure I will love elements of all of them. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, Went a lot longer than I was expecting, so um, which is great because I love talking Star Wars with you. I love listening. I've been listening to you talk Star Wars so much the last few weeks that I'm so glad I got you to join me for the show because I know you record like every uh, every night because you have so many shows going on. So <laughs> before before I wrap this up, Matt, how can people check out all the other great content that you put out there? And that's not even just Star Wars. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, follow me on social media over at uh, MattRushing02 on Twitter and Instagram under the same name, so it's easy to find. Um, and then you can find me on two different networks, actually three different networks. So the first network is the Nerd Party Network, where I do aggressive negotiations with John Mills. And uh, I really appreciate all the kinds of words that you've had to say about the show. I, I can't tell you what a joy it is to do that. I mean, John and I sit down and record every single week with each other. Um, and we always come away with talking to each other back and forth about, man, I just needed that this week. I just needed to get together with my bro, talk star Wars and have a great time. And that's just what we do on that show. So hopefully you'll check it out and like it. Um, 
if uh, you like Harry Potter, uh, I do a show on the Nerd Party Network called Owl Post. And my friend Drea and I are walking through every single chapter of Harry Potter, one chapter at a time. So every episode is just a chapter of the series. Um, it's a lot of fun. We really enjoy it. Um, over on the Trek FM network where I do talk about uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine with my friend Chris over on the Orb. Uh, we talked about the General Geek Show, the 602 Club. Uh, we talk a lot of Star Wars over there, but we talk about all the other fandoms we love. We've been walking through every single Bond film. We've done um, you know, DC, Marvel, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. I mean, the list goes on and on. We, we try to get in as much as we can. Uh, and then last but not least, the show I do um, on a network called To Be the Church, and it's called Cinema Stories. And my friend Courtney and I walk through films through the lens of faith. Uh, so we actually talked about The Last Jedi. I'm actually really proud of the episode we did on The Last Jedi. Um, I We just talked about uh, recently Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. So that's a really fun show, and if you are somebody who enjoys hearing that kind of content about you know faith in film i think you'll really enjoy that show so and i i just really appreciate the opportunity to be here on the wampus lair um it was so great to meet you and jason at um celebration um and i really uh, appreciate the opportunity just to sit and talk about star wars like this where we just like go it's awesome <laughs> so i really appreciate it Oh, no. Thank you for coming on. And I really appreciate it, too. I mean, I, I was so nervous, actually, before tonight because I, I normally do some prep and put some notes down. I had very little time with how work has been so crazy this week. I was like, oh, and I said to you before, I was like, oh, before we started recording, I was like, I didn't put anything together. And you're like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. We were more than fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we made the Kessel Run in, well, way over 12 parsecs. In, in 22 parsecs. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been a real, real pleasure having you on as, as always. Um, quick reminder um, to, to the Larians. Um, so next week we will be back, Jason and I, and uh, we'll go over the matchup from last week, which was um, episode five, Luke versus episode seven, Ray, excuse me, episode eight, Ray. So Empire Strikes Back, Luke versus Last Jedi, Ray, who wins in that fight? Um, so be sure to let us know on our social media um, also this week, um, by this weekend will be the next mini episode of, of my little, um, Star Wars project called, um, Wampa Reflections, where I'll take another quote from, from a Star Wars film, unpack its meaning in the film and what it means to us today. Um, so again, that's over on our Patreon page. All you got to do is pledge a dollar on Patreon. You'll get access to these weekly mini episodes, um, where every other week I'll be doing something a little bit more in depth like that. And Jason, Every other week, we'll be doing a mini episode on some sort of background character from Star Wars. So going to be a lot of fun. So you can find that on patreon.com slash podcast. And, um, of course, our social media, Wampazler Podcast. You find us everywhere you want. Send us emails at wampazlerpodcast at gmail.com. You know all the good stuff. Um, so, again, thank you, everybody, so much for checking out this episode of the Wampazler Podcast. This has been episode 267, That Star Wars Feeling. I am so pleased to thank you again, Matt, for being here. And on behalf of myself, on behalf of the good old Matt Rushing and the force ghosts of Jason Hunt, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. Wampus Lair.